that goes that goes back ways, doesn't it? When was that was? Yeah, we had an opportunity to go to um, Lake George, uh, which is upstate New York, uh, just uh, south of Lake Champagne. And if you've got some uh, Revolutionary War and French and Indian War history in your head, there was a lot of that that happened through there. So we had an opportunity to spend a few days there. And uh, that's a surprise. I didn't expect to see that. I wonder where... How did somebody get a hold of that? Facebook, <laughs> probably. Wow. Well, it's, it's good to be here this morning. Absolutely, it's, it's great to be here. It's always fun to come down. I was sharing with someone, uh, we always kind of take, if you can call it a scenic route from the great north, uh, Windsor, uh, Colorado. Um, we kind of take through... Uh, take some back roads, county roads come down and across, and then bring 66 across. And, um, it was just a, a gorgeous morning, cool, uh, just a nice, a nice day. So I, I'm happy to be here. Uh, my, my wife, Karen, and, and our youngest daughter, Renee, is with us today. She'll be heading back to uh, Bethany, Oklahoma uh, next week. Uh, she'll be a sophomore at Southern Nazarene University, SNU. She'll be starting her second year there, and so um, we're happy that that's where she's at, but we're sad that she's going. Um, but anyway, uh, it's just, uh, as I said, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to be here. Um, <clears throat> I kind of feel like we've already been in church this morning. Um, I love that song, Great is Your Faithfulness. Um, great is Thy Faithfulness, but really it's God's faithfulness to us. And uh, really it's a... Kind of a neat segue into where we're we're going to go this morning. Um, I want to uh, share with you a story this morning uh, that's found in the Old Testament. Uh, it's found uh, in the book of Samuel, First Samuel, two Samuels, First Samuel, Second Samuel, uh, right after Ruth. So we have the Pentateuch, the Judges, Ruth, and then we have First Samuel. So if you want to start heading that way, uh, we're going to be First Samuel chapter eight. And it's only about 20 verses long, so I want to read it because it's an interesting story. It's a story that I believe um, is very relevant uh, to where we are, to us uh, as believers, and to us as a people and as a nation and as a world. Um, and uh, I think hopefully you'll see in it uh, some things that uh, I thought were very interesting and I, I felt like... God was uh, wanting to share with us this morning. I enjoy history, so it's it's easy for me to go back and to to read um, in the Old Testament to read the stories of of people, um, the stories of real people and their exploits, and and, um, and 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 it's just it's just really neat for me. Unfortunately, at my house, I'm the only one that likes that, um, so. Um, I am thankful for Netflix. How many have Netflix at home? It's great. You can go back and see old documentaries. I just finished one. Uh, I like Ken Burns. He does a great job. I've watched the Civil War one. Um, I've just finished one called The West, which kind of gives a history of the West uh, from Lewis and Clark and the Louisiana Purchase and all the way back, all the way up into the Northwest Territory. 
And uh, I've started another one on Vietnam. I just realized yesterday there's another one on the Roman Empire. So um, just so you don't know, I don't spend a lot of time watching TV, but if I do, I, I just I like those documentaries and I love history. And I love to read about the history of our world and our country and so on and so forth. So, um, I want to, our, our, where our scripture takes us today or where, where we'll be going in our scripture today, um, I just want to share something probably most of you already all know, but just a brief history of the Israelite people up to this point, uh, where we're going to be reading today in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Obviously, we, we know much about Moses has, and the uh, Exodus, uh, the, the, the destruction of the Egyptian army, um, and then into uh, the 40 years in the wilderness, and, and then Moses passes, and, and the baton is passed on to Joshua. Uh, Joshua then uh, is in command as they take uh, move into the conquest so they're they're going to move in to uh, receive what God has promised them the promised land and so Joshua leads them in and and uh, through over 80 years um, they they conquer and they take um, the land that God had promised them Joshua then passes and then judges are set up and so judges are set up to rule the 12 tribes. Okay, These judges are selected by God. God works through them to speak to the people, to tell them uh, what and where and how to live and where to go. And Judges 17 says that during this time, um, the people lived a good life. They lived... Uh, as they thought God would want them to live. So the Bible, the Judges tells us in, in chapter 17 that they were living out the life that God was wanting them to live. So we have the Judges, and, uh, and God was virtually, it was God was their king, just as He's our king. God was their king, and then He spoke through the Judges. And uh, they were... They were his, the judges were his go-between. That's how he passed on uh, the truths and, and how he wanted them to live. And the judges also worked as judges. They, they did some of those things that uh, needed to be done. They, they settled quarrels. They settled disputes. They did those things, hence the word judges. So then we come to the last judge, as recorded in the Bible, and his name was Samuel. Uh, the story of Samuel is an interesting one, as most of us probably know. He, he, his mother prayed for years and years uh, for a child, for she was barren. And uh, even at one time when she went up to Shiloh um, and, and was praying in the temple, she was told by Eli, who was then the judge, that she shouldn't be drinking. You should stop drinking um, because... You know, your, your prayers aren't making sense. But she continues and has faith and goes on. She goes home and she becomes pregnant. But she also, in this time, said that, asked God that if He would give her a son, that this son, he, she would in turn give back to God to serve, uh, for, to serve Him. 
So she goes home and, and she becomes pregnant and, and she has a baby and his name is Samuel. So Samuel lived uh, at home. The Bible says till he was weaned. Uh, that could have been anywhere. Typically scholars think anywhere from four, five, six, seven years old. And then she took him up to the temple and presented him to Eli. And so he lives there in the temple. She would come up and visit him, I'm sure, as any mother would. And uh, he grew up. At about age eight, uh, he's sleeping and he hears this sound. Someone's calling his name. He assumes it's Eli, so he goes to Eli and Eli's asleep and he wakes him up and Eli says, go back and go lay down. It's not me. You're hearing things. He hears a voice again for the second time. Comes back to Eli and Eli says, nope, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. But he, Eli then realizes that it's God calling Samuel. So the third time Samuel hears it, he responds to God, and that's what we commonly call his calling, or his God had called him uh, to what uh, he wanted him to do. So Samuel grows up. Um, uh, some things happen in the history there. Uh, Eli's sons uh, go bad and, and uh, go the wrong way, and, and they're killed. And then Eli falls, breaks his neck, and he is killed. And this brings Samuel then into this forefront as the new judge for the people of Israel. So this judge, as a judge, he was, um, again, there's a conflict between scholars. Uh, he was a young man at that time. Some believe he might have even been a teenager at this point in his life. Um, we're not really sure, and that's, that's fine. That's okay. But then when we pick up our story today, and I'd like to read that. Um, bear with me for a minute. I'm old and I have to take these up here. <laughs> So I want to pick up at Samuel, First um, Samuel chapter 8. We're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, it's just 22 verses long. And uh, it begins, When Samuel grew old, so now a lot of time has passed. Most likely he's in his mid-50s by this point. If you want to stand for the reading of the Word, that's great. I apologize for not offering that. When Samuel was old, he appointed his son as Israel's leaders. The name of his first son was Joel, and the name of his second son was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. So, a little background again, Samuel is around and judging around the area of Ramah, which is about five to ten miles north of Jerusalem. And his sons have been appointed judges about 110 miles away to the south and the east of Jerusalem in an area called Beersheba. So there was a, a wide distance there. His sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and per perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, get this, you're old, and your sons do not follow your ways. 
Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to God, prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all, the, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what a king will reign over you. This is what the king will, who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with chariots and horses. And they will run out in front of the chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others will make weapons of war and equipments for his char- equipment for his chariots. He will make your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and his attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, he will cry out, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. When Samuel heard all of that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. You can be seated. Thank you. It's kind of a sad story. It's kind of one of those, as you read it now, after the fact, you kind of go, wow, how could anybody be so silly as to want to do that? Why would anybody want to give up the life they had had, a God who had ruled over them through the judges, who had, as commentators have said, one of the most um, pleasing times to live in for the Israelite people. And as we read history, and we know what happens, um, it's been trouble ever since. Right up to this day. So, as 
I have read this and, and uh, over and over and over and, and studied and, and tried to elicit commentaries on this and read what other people said. I find many things in this scripture um, that are that are interesting and 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 enlightening, and uh, not necessarily in a good way. But I think it's it's something that we can learn from. Hopefully, we can learn from. Hopefully, we haven't gotten to the point where we think we know it all, we have it all together, and we can't learn anything more. We already know it all. But I think that the request for an earthly king reveals much about who they were and had become as a people living under God's kingship. So I want to share three things from this passage um, briefly that, that I think um, speaks to uh, the relationship between these people and their God. And hopefully we will be able to connect that to us and to the world in which we live in and the relevance that that has for us as a people. The first thing I believe that we find there in the Scripture um, is that this request for a king reveals their desire for their own way. Okay, They wanted things the way they wanted things. Sounds familiar, I think. In verse 5, they said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint us a king. That's pretty characteristic, isn't it? Of people, of mankind, of, 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 of today even. We seem to be able to find things to justify the reasons we want the things we want. Your sons, they do not follow in your way. They take money, they take bribes. They're concerned with only one thing. I mean, that's what they told Samuel. They didn't come to Samuel with a big long list. They just came to Samuel with one thing. They came to Samuel and said, Your sons are not like you. Therefore, we're going in the wrong direction. We want a king. Someone we can see and someone who will lead us into battle. So, it's amazing how they forgot everything else. They forgot the last 400 years or so since the conquest of all that God had done for them. They forgot how He won battles for them. How the walls of Jericho fell down. How their enemies were defeated. How Gideon, the judge, had an army of 32,000 But before he fought the Midianites, there was only 300. And with 300 people, he defeated them. They forgot all the things that God had done for them. And they were only focusing on one thing at this point. 
First of all, they wanted what they wanted. They wanted their own desire. I would say their own selfish desire. And that was for a king. Okay? They had seen the kings around them, but they hadn't paid any attention to how a king rules. They hadn't paid attention to the idea that the king will take this, and he will take that, and he will take your sons, and he will take your daughters. He will take your belongings. He will create great armies. Because even then, as now, that, that gives, the, um, gives the idea of power. I mean, right now, the big armies, the big bombs, the nuclear weapons, that looks like power. So, we can't see God. We want a God we can see, and we want someone who will fight our battles. So we're after that. So we haven't really changed. Things haven't changed a whole lot in mankind and humankind over the last 3,500 years. It's still the idea of power and something I can see. So here we are. We have these people who have come to Samuel, and they've said to Samuel, we want a king. And they've, as I said, forgotten everything that God had been doing for them. Let me ask you a question. And I'm going to ask you because I know it happens to me. How often do you find yourself when you're alone feeling sorry, maybe for yourself, and suddenly realizing that maybe, just maybe, there's something better. And pretty soon, that's the only thing that you focus on. Your imagination. We have a wonderful imagination that God has given us, but sometimes it works against us. So you have this imagination, and you begin to, to work out all these details. You begin to almost live in it, because you're thinking to yourself, well, if this and this and this, then I can have this. And, and pretty soon, it all kind of boils down to... All I can think about is if only I can get this, then I will have that. And we forget about all the other stuff. We seem to be zeroed in on that one thing. These folks had forgotten everything, but they were zeroed in on the idea that your kids aren't like you and we want a king. Not that God had done all the things that he had done for them. Only that I want what I want and in my mind, I've rationalized it. I've written it. I know how it's going to go. I understand what it's going to be. And it can only be better because I have figured it out. Ever been there? Yeah, I think we all have. You see, chronic unhappiness, discontentment, and sin distorts our senses. And it makes it easy for us to find excuses for anything, doesn't it? I'm unhappy, so I deserve this. I need this. Your sons are not living up to you, so we want a king. 
So, number one, it reveals their desire for their own way. Number two, and this is probably the saddest part, it, it reveals their rejection of God as king. This time in the life of Israel, some would say it was the best. And as I've already said, Judges 17.6 says, In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their eyes. And so life was good, but they'd forgotten that. And even in times of trouble, God would raise small forces to defeat their enemies when it was necessary. They had everything covered. They didn't need to create mass armies with chariots and soldiers because we know who's going to make up those armies. It's going to be your children. It's going to be your children. The lust for their own desires or way had darkened their memory. They'd forgotten or ignored what God had done for them in the past. Samuel, so it seemed to him, was the target of their rejection. But God tells him different. Samuel took it personal, and I don't blame him. All of us would have taken it personal if we were to have been in his shoes. And sometimes we get fixed on that so much that we don't see the deeper need that's going on here. We don't see the deeper uh, um, issue uh, that's here. They weren't rejecting Samuel. They were rejecting God. So when our life goes maybe not the way we want it, we've tried to live for God. We've tried to be faithful. And we've tried to be all that He has called us to be. And sometimes life throws us curves. We all know that. When you serve God, doesn't necessarily mean that everything in life is going to be hunky-dory. And then finally be better when we pass and meet Him face to face. Life will throw us curves. And what is our first tendency? To blame God when things don't go right. But God, but God, I've tried to serve you all these years, but God, I've tried to do this, but God, I've tried to do the right thing. Why? And He's okay. He doesn't mind you asking. He doesn't mind you at all asking. But it, when it becomes, when it becomes not asking, and really shows your faithlessness towards Him, then it becomes trouble. He's okay asking the questions. He's okay asking the tough questions. He's okay with that. He's big enough and He knows that. The Israelites... We're not doing anything they hadn't done in the past. Many times, they've left God for another God in the, in the country in which they lived. 
It was the God of the Amorites, the God of the Philistines, the God of the, of the Amorites. It, it was all the other gods that they lived in and lived around that suddenly became more attractive to them than their God, who had brought them out of Exodus, who had brought them into the Promised Land, who had defeated those armies and set up a place for the twelve tribes of Israel to live, and then a God who looked out for them and took care of them. You see, for them it was easier to blame Samuel, who they could see, than God, who they couldn't see. Sometimes it's easier for us to blame the scene because it's much easier. But when the truth is, we're really blaming the unseen. Finally, it reveals God's steadfast love, even though he's rejected. Verse 22, the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Listen to them and give them a king. Think as a parent would think at this point. Your child has asked you for something. Your child has asked you for something that you know is not right. They've asked you for something that you know is going to hurt them. They've asked you for something that you don't like. But because you love them, you allow them to make those decisions. You have to at some point because they become adults and they have to be able and be to make those decisions for themselves. I'm not speaking about young children and raising our children and doing that. I'm talking about as our children get older and they become adults and they become decision makers. Sometimes we know that they want to do things that are going to hurt them. So God now says, okay, they want a king, give them a king. Interestingly enough, though, he didn't say, they want a king, give them a king, I don't want anything to do with them ever again. I didn't read that here. I don't think we read that anywhere in the Bible when his children, us, and those that have gone before us, make those decisions that he knows are not in our best interest. Never once does he say, Go ahead, forget it, I don't want anything to do with you again. Interestingly enough, Saul goes out and he anoints king, he goes out and anoints Saul as king, and we know that didn't go real well. But who comes after him? It's David. He anoints David, David as king. And it's through the lineage of David that Jesus Christ will come. It's through that line that he will send the Messiah. It is through that line that he will send a Savior. That he will send our Savior. It is through that line. So did he say, give him a king, I don't want anything to do with him? Nope. He just made another way to bring them to himself. God has always been and always will be in the redemption business. He will always be about redeeming the lost. 
He will always be, even in the midst of our bad decisions, even in the midst of our wrong decisions, even in the midst of those decisions that we made based on emotional and not real good evidence and all of those things, He will still be at work redeeming us, bringing us back to Him. Now, I'm not giving you license to say you could do whatever you want. But what I'm saying is that even when you make the wrong decision, even when you make a decision that you believe is right and you find out is wrong, God is still at work redeeming you and redeeming me. Okay? He doesn't give up. So even though they wanted their own desire, they wanted their own thing, they wanted a king. Man, we want to be like everybody else, only better. Even though they rejected him. To want a king meant they were rejecting him as king. He was still at work redeeming his people. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty good today because I've made my share of mistakes in my life. I've done my share of making bad decisions, not doing things correctly. But guess what? God is still at work redeeming us. So through David, God, through this idea of a king, God is still at work. He's not given up. He didn't give up on them. He's not given up on us. We're pretty fortunate to serve the God that we do. And if I have the choice, he's my king. Not, I'm not going to go political. Not somebody else. Okay? So in, clu- in conclusion, I just want to say a few things. And I've already said this one. Redemption is always at the forefront of God's plan for mankind. That's what he's about. It's not before the Israelites are nearly driven to extinction as a people. The kings they so badly wanted will bring division and exile to the country They will be hauled off by the Assyrians, hauled off by the Babylons, and only a small remnant will come back into Israel from Babylonia. But it was still, even though it went from millions to a very few, God was still doing what God was going to do. And that was bring a Savior into the world for all of mankind. So this story of Saul, excuse me, of Samuel, historically was very interesting, but in the nuggets of truth that we can dig out of it is also very interesting. Think about it. Next time you're feeling like, man, I could do it better myself. Man, I could, I could get that done. Man, God, I know you're trying, but I think I could do better. 
Now, we don't say that necessarily, but we sure think it. We sure try to, we sure try to turn things to be the way we want them to be. Remember this story. Remember that even in the midst of our selfishness and our denial of God, He's at work redeeming us. He's at work bringing out, bringing the best for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your Word. Even though this story is 3,500 years old, it still rings true. It's amazing. It's amazing that Your Word is so relevant. That it still speaks to us. That is your, it's Your revelation. It's your, it's your truth. I thank You for these stories that are buried here in the Old Testament. Sometimes we read right over them and we don't really even think about them too much. We just kind of see them. As we get past Samuel and we, we get into Kings and, and Chronicles and we see the kings and, and their lives and, and many of them very sad uh, because they finish up so that king so-and-so did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Even though... God knew that this is where it was heading. He didn't give up. He didn't give up on them. He doesn't give up on us. You don't give up on us. And we're thankful for that this morning. So wherever we are in our lives, whatever decisions we're faced with, whatever, whatever circumstances are set in front of us, we want Your will. And we will come to You in prayer, but we will also not be held hostage by our decision making. We know that no matter what, you're at work. And that your, your plan is for our redemption. And we love you this morning. We thank you for all that you do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. <laughs>